Hi there, folks. China's Xi Jinping says the world is big enough for the United States and China to coexist. But can the world really have two superpowers? What does history tell us? That's a question today. I'm Aaron Young. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. Hello, it is so great to be with you wherever you're watching us from. Also on Ticker Today, Germany shuts the door on green initiatives to plug a $55 billion budget black hole. All the details on that coming up, but first... And we kick it off with ticker hotshots and Veronica Dudos in New York City for us. Veronica, always great to see you. Now, U.S. President Joe Biden and China's President Xi Jinping have been pledging to ease tensions as the pair met with this high-stakes summit in California. The talks at the historic estate near San Francisco mark the first time the rival leaders have spoken in more than a year. Let's kick it off by having a listen to what they both had to say. Well, Mr. President, it's good to see you again. We've spent many hours together over the last... uh, 10 or 12 years, and to host you in the United States is a great honor and a pleasure, uh, particularly as we to our summit today. We also have a responsibility to our people and the work in the world uh, to work together when we see it in our interest to do so. Back on each other is not an option. It is unrealistic for one side to remodel the other, and conflict and confrontation has unbearable consequences for both sides. All right, there we have it. Uh, both leaders speaking there. Veronica, what do you make of this? Obviously, great to see the two leaders. It has felt like we've been on the verge of a confrontation over Taiwan in recent years as well. The United States and the Biden administration, pretty hawkish on that as well. But it really kicked off with the Trump era, didn't it, with those tariffs. Now to see China and the United States leaders in the same room at least gives us some hope that both sides are at least talking. So China really has never hidden its goals. It wants to be a superpower. It also wants to be the leader of the world. So that's something that, uh, you know, how does the rest of the international community react to that? Can there be a change in power? Those are a lot of questions that are are facing, you know, these modern day administrations. This, of course, is on the sidelines of the Asian Pacific Economic Conference. This is being held in San Francisco. Now, this is the first time that both leaders, President Biden and Xi Jinping, met face-to-face in a year. Now, we did hear Biden say that there is no substitute for face-to-face meetings. This is alluding to, of course, some of their uh, video conference calls that happened earlier on. But Still, just last week, China took their pandas back from the zoo in Washington, D.C. They are not happy. There has been rising tensions. Can this be a reset? You know, obviously, we know that China is working with uh, Russia and also in in a lot of the issues in terms of the Middle East. Are are they also involved with Iran? You know, we're seeing what has been dubbed potentially a new axis of evil. So these are very serious times. And right out of the gate, you're hearing Xi Jinping saying that The earth is big enough for China and the United States to both succeed. So it's really still not backing down. Yeah, I listened to that. And I think, well, historically, that just has not worked, right? You look at the Soviet Union and uh, the United States as well. Now, in a beautiful world, yeah, for sure. But they just cannot help competing. And as you mentioned, when you have so many different wars that are happening at the moment, proxy wars like what's happening in, in Ukraine, what's happening now in Gaza as well, where superpowers take different sides and are arming different sides, that eventually leads to a confrontation, perhaps not a physical one. We are talking about nuclear powers, but certainly it can lead to a confrontation when it comes to 
being competitive when it comes to cyber hacking. Just last week, the Australian Prime Minister was trying to thaw the ice in Beijing, meeting with the leadership there. This week, a report comes out saying that the majority of cyber hacks against Australian government and business is coming from China. That will no doubt make it hard, despite all the pleasantries, to actually have a real conversation. You know, this also goes back to more of the international community wanting to have, you know, a foothold in the door in terms of being on the ground, you know, in Wuhan, doing any type of investigation to really try to figure out exactly what happened and make sure that never happened again, but they wouldn't allow it. And so we see them try to push further, meaning China in the world. But then when other countries want to be involved and want more information, the walls go up. And so that does lead to distrust. So it will be interesting to see what happens moving forward. You know, obviously just even looking at Apple and the government phones in China, and those are being banned. You know, for them, it is economic. It is, um, you know, their their community, they they really look at a lot of different fronts in China and they, they really would like to be, you know, ahead of the game straight across the board. Yeah, well, ahead of the game sounds like a, a great place to be. But as we say, the question is whether or not uh, that will, uh, the United States will allow them uh, to, to, to be able to do that. Now let's talk, uh, the Democratic and Republican leaders in the US Senate say they could possibly vote later in the day on legislation that would keep the government funded and prevent a partial shutdown. Leaders both parties say they support a stopgap spending bill passed earlier this week. Uh, Veronica, I feel like we are talking about a government shutdown all the time. Um, I know that a lot of anchors in the US are getting pretty tired of talking about it as well. How is this still a thing? So this is something new where they are doing these stopgap bills. And so it's sort of like a mini bill to maybe every six months be able to fund the government. So it is to make a new six month budget and then move on from that. So exactly right. We are hearing this um, often. <laughs> uh, and then we're, you know, we're hearing where lawmakers are saying, we know this is going to happen. This is not something that, you know, comes out of left field. Why can't we really sit down? and, you know, go through this and put together a comprehensive uh, you know, measure that can, can be passed. So this is interesting because this was a big test for the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, but it was also said that this isn't any different mm. than what Kevin McCarthy had passed. Well, exactly. So it is now up to the Senate, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it is such a, an interesting point. Um, as much as things change, they seem to stay the same. Veronica Dudo, ticker hot shots, uh, always enjoy it. And you can, of course, catch Veronica's program in America today right here on Ticker. The German government is freezing major spending on green initiatives and industry support after a constitutional court ruling on unused pandemic emergency funds blew out by $55 billion. The decision threw into disarray budget negotiations taking place as well. The German government was dealt a big blow by a constitutional court on Wednesday. Its finances were stuck with a $65 billion hole after a court ruling on unused funds from the global health crisis. The decision forced authorities to freeze major spending pledges focused on green initiatives and industry support. It also threw this week's budget discussions into disarray Chancellor Olaf Scholz's three-way coalition. The Constitutional Court's ruling, of course, has immediate consequences on the Climate and Transformation Fund, where the 60 billion euros which were planned are no longer available. 
That is why the budget plan will have to be discussed again, and it needs to be worked over. The country's coalition had agreed two years ago to transfer debts raised to help with the health crisis to a climate fund. The move allowed the parties to make the most of a temporary suspension of borrowing limits in the constitution. But the Constitutional Court ruled it was incompatible with the debt break enshrined in Germany's constitutional basic law, and so was void. Finance Minister Christian Lindner now faces more questions over how he plans to keep spending in check. The German government respects this ruling. It creates clarity on the debt break. The ruling, however, has potentially large consequences on federal and state budgets. $65 billion was set aside for numerous initiatives like making buildings more energy efficient and subsidising chips production. One leading research group called the ruling a massive setback for the government and said further spending cuts now look unavoidable. Germany's budget for next year and financial plans through 2027 are due to be finalised on Friday. In the dynamic world of entrepreneurship, people strive to stand out for their ability to identify market gaps and turn passions into successful ventures. So what's it like being a serial entrepreneur? For more, we're joined by Elizabeth Hollingsworth, business owner of six companies. Um, such a great topic. Six companies. How do you sleep? <laughs> I sleep very well. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. No, that's fantastic. So you began as a, as a journalist. Tell yes. us um, about how you got into being a serial entrepreneur. I mean, most people struggle with one. Well, it actually was a natural progression because I was uh, a magazine editor and people used to send in their massive A2 portfolios to me. And um, it took a lot of time. They had to spend all the money on stamps. And I realized that uh, there was a better way to do it. Anyway, I hadn't, hadn't worked out how. I did a, a mentoring program. And one of the books they suggested we read was The E-Myth, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's all about, you know, having your own business. And um, I thought about it for a bit. And then I remembered the portfolio yeah. um, you know, issue. And so then I created an online portfolio directory that people could find creatives and see their work as PDFs and drill down specifically into what they did. That's fantastic. And, and so I did that. It just wasn't a very good business model. No, that is the trouble, right? The first <laughs> yes. one is often the one that becomes yes. the test. Yes. Now you've got six and your tea towel business, I believe, yes. is your favourite. Yes, yes. It's my most recent. Um, that was born out of COVID when we're all locked down yes. and uh, we weren't allowed to uh, leave our homes um, for more than 5Ks and occasionally um, we could, but we still couldn't leave Victoria. So my husband and I would go to the nearest uh, wine regions, which are all about one to two hours drive from mm -hmm. out of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of the wineries were suffering because they didn't have enough visitors. And they were all saying, would you please buy a souvenir while you're here? And then... Um, I realized I could actually create a series of tea towels that were illustrated with the top ranking um, wineries and have hotels for people to stay at and attractions so that um, people could extend their what stay and idea. put more money back in. As a serial entrepreneur, you obviously have a lot of ideas. How yes. do you channel all of those ideas into ones that now you've worked out you need to be able to commercialize? Uh, I think it's a case of um, working out how much time you've got to do everything <laughs> <laughs> and the money you've got to do. But um, I am running three concurrently. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it is actually quite, quite hard. But they've all actually um, progressed and gone in, into each other, if that makes sense. They've all sort of, like, made sense how I've gone from one to the next. 
And talk to us about some of the lessons you've learned through this process, okay. because there's another five. <laughs> oh, yeah. So some of the lessons are um, don't compete on price. Um, you, that'll just be a race to the bottom. Um, try and look for multiple um, uh, channels of revenue, like, and mm. also um, how you might be able to use that product for different audiences or different um, client segments. It's not just one. So for example, with the tea towels, because we've got 12 regions across Australia, that means there are wine festivals happening throughout the year. So people are needing the tea towels throughout the year, Such not just at Christmas. Yeah. Elizabeth Hollingsworth, really appreciate your time. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks so much. More Ticker right after this. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes. 